0: You may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcast's that might not be able to fit a midday class on Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you. welcome everyone uh nice to see you all um okay so uh, today i have a a relatively simple um plan uh for us and uh it it is this i i I just want to try to uh, look at the text of the torah this week's parsha, um and uh, ask the question, very simple question. Um, uh, here, I'll p- I put it on the on my source sheet, and it's just like I couldn't I couldn't even come up with a uh, a better title. Maybe I will by the time we podcast this. But the question that I want to ask today is this: um, Was 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 Asaph bad? E- Esau, I I can't say Esau because I, I don't know. It sounds to me like somehow like overly Protestant, but um Esav is how we say, we say it but Esau Asav, um was was he a bad guy was he a bad guy that's the basic question i want to i want to try to ask today just um by looking at the text of the torah and i say that deliberately because if we go into rabbinic literature the answer is clear okay and, and that's part of what i I'm grappling with. There is this. Um, there is this phenomenon that you 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 come up against um, uh, when you start to look at rabbinic commentary, where certain characters who seem entirely sympathetic in the Torah, I don't want to say entirely, because that's my whole question. Is, is there something in the Torah that is cluing these rabbis? into their assessment as just a, a damning assessment just a damning there are certain figures in the torah um sorry certain figures in rabbinic literature when i say rabbinic literature i mean like starting with the midrash and the talmud in the first and second centuries of the common era um certain figures who um um have a the the dubious distinction um of harasha the wicked one harasha so some of those figures like Pharaoh, Paro HaRasha, okay, fine. Haman HaRasha, okay, yeah, like, that's obvious. Those are the villains in the story. But there are characters who are um, damned by the rabbinic, I don't know, imagination assessment, um, who don't look so bad when we look at the Torah itself. And one of those figures is um, Bilam, or Balaam, the prophet. Um, We'll have to wait to assess um, him in the book of Numbers, but there's an example of someone who seems like seems like a good guy, even worships the God we worship and follows that God's orders. But the rabbis hate Bilam, hate, hate, hate Bilam, uh, and uh, and 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 we could go and try to uh, figure out why over there. But today I want to try to figure out why it is that the rabbis hate Asav, um, Esau, Asav. I'm going to say Asav. Um, why do the rabbis hate Asav? Um, now, there are some obvious answers that I want to just name at the start because we're going to try to figure out uh, if there's anything in the text that's cluing them off. But there are some, you know, almost like background um, hovering above the text uh, um, uh, concerns. And one is simply that uh, it's the obvious right Esau's the other brother Jacob's our forefather that's our team so Esau's the other team it doesn't feel like a like a a noble justification for the condemnation of of of, of an entire figure um uh, but maybe actually the other reason is more helpful which is that it isn't just a condemnation of an in, an entire person but um uh, but actually, an entire nation, and that's that's certainly uh, one way of thinking about this is that Esav becomes the progenitor, the father of the nation of Edom, Edom, and Edom is like turns out to be one of the enemies of of Israel, um, fame famously, or at least like fir- firstly. Um, in the Torah, we see a confrontation when um, in the book of Numbers, Moses tries to cross through the land of Edom, offers a kind of peaceful, we'll just, would you just let your brother pass by? By the way, Moses is still calling Edom your brother, my brother, right? So there's some link there to an entire nation that becomes an enemy. And so maybe this is explanatory, um, either through prophecy, you know, if you're a traditionalist, or um, uh, there's a word for this—an etiology. It's like a story that was written to explain uh, why it is that we're against uh, that we've had this this um, conflict with this nation, right? And we could ask this question. One of the reasons that I um, I am interested in this in this question is that we could ask it of a lot of the um, siblings or cousins who fork off from the. Um, from the covenantal family in the Torah and wonder, you know, the same thing about Ishmael. What is the status of Ishmael, you know, for example. But I must say that the rabbis have their suspicions about Ishmael, but you can find rabbinic literature that valorizes Ishmael. You can find rabbis named after it, Rabbi Ishmael, right? But you're never going to find a rabbi Asav. That 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 figure it just just it receives total condemnation, and I must say I'm not exactly sure why. Because if you look at the plain text of the story, today's parsha, I should say, is parsha Toldot, and it might be my favorite parsha. It is a masterpiece. I mean, it's just a total symphonic masterpiece. There are movements, and there's wordplay. Oh, I should um share with you. Um, the first of all if you want to sign up for my weekly Dvar Torah you can sign up here and um, this week I wrote about um, about some of the just incredibly uh, 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 intricate and sophisticated wordplay that's going on in Parshat Toldot and that that is uh, what can I say? It's my favorite parsha, so I think it's 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 worth a look. Here's the essay that I wrote on that this week. Okay, um, but uh, we're going to just look at parsha Toldot, this parsha, and we're just going to look at the scenes that have Esau as a player. And that's the last thing I'll say before we 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 dive in is that when you go and you look at the material that the rabbis are drawing from, it's actually like pretty scanty. There isn't isn't much there. There are two scenes, just two scenes of recorded dialogue um, here in this week's Parsha. And then we won't hear from Esau until two weeks from now. There's a major confrontation between Jacob and Esau and again, we could go. We could ask that. Uh, the truth is, I'm writing now. I'm writing like two weeks in advance, so I'm writing about that confrontation, which is part of why it's on my mind now. Is I'm tr- I'm actually trying to figure out so that I'll be ready, so that we'll all be ready for Vaishlah two weeks from now when Jacob confronts Esau. And again, it seems like Esau is acting, you know, pretty, um, pretty, pretty decently to his brother. Hugs and kisses him. I mean, that's. That's also surprising is after all of their years of bitter conflict, when they reunite, they're hugging and kissing. So what's the problem? What's the problem? And if anything is the problem, it seems from the plain text of the Torah, Jacob is the problem. Jacob is the one lying to, tricking, manipulating, right? Jacob is the one who who, who steals a blessing from Esav. Uh, and, um buys though seems in a kind of manipulative way, buys the birthright from Aa. seems like like jacob is is the character we ought to be suspicious of. but then again, Jacob is our father. what do we what, what are we gonna do? Okay, so I think I've laid out the problem and uh, let's say a blessing, and we will will dive in here and 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 take a look at some of these scenes and see if we can do because i I guess I want to say this. I don't believe that the rabbis some people would say oh the rabbis want to justify Jacob and they um and they they want to like villainize Asaph in order to you know justify our whole peoplehood and they're just making stuff up. I just don't believe that that's the way the rabbis work. I mean I, do, I don't get me wrong they might have that agenda but they're never they're never just going to make things up. They're always mining they these are the most sophisticated readers of texts that I have ever come across. And they're surely they're finding something in the text. So let's just try, we don't have to agree with them by the end, but let's try to figure out what it is that they're sensing about Asav that would lead them to characterize him as the wicked one. Okay, so let's let's say a blessing, uh, uh, and just uh, try to focus ourselves into the, the sacred practice of learning Torah. Okay. All right. So let's take a look here. I'm going to give you a source sheet. And I said, we're going to be um, uh, mostly or almost all in the text of the Torah. This is one of those classes where we're not going to look at a lot of commentaries, but I want to just give you just one, just one commentary, just so you have a feel for what it is the rabbis are doing, I just said it, but what do I mean the rabbis villainize asaph And Rashi does a great job of carrying their critique all the way through the story. So every time Rashi sees an opening, he will tell you what a terrible guy asaph is. And here's an example, asaph um, uh, and Jacob are twins, and we get um, we get we we find that out when 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 Rebecca gives birth and here they are they were twins and the word for twins it turns out is written chaser meaning um, it's written uh, with with fewer letters than it ought to be this is the way that it it usually looks teomim twins and this is the way that it looks in our parsha which is missing a couple of letters. Now, in Hebrew, you can get away with that because you can vowelize differently. You know, you you assume vowels to be there and you don't need the full spelling, but it's always noteworthy when a word is missing one letter, let alone two letters of its standard spelling. So that's where Rashi jumps in here. Vihine Tomim. there were twins. The word for twins is written defective, chaser. Whilst... That's a nice uh, old timey word. Whilst in the case of Tamar, now Tamar, um, uh, gives birth to twins as well, uh, parrots and Zerach. While in the case of Tamar, it's written to Omim in the full spelling. Why? Because in the latter case, both children proved righteous whilst here, one was righteous and the other wicked. Okay. And I don't even like proved righteous because it doesn't say that as if, oh, we'll see eventually. It just said, it just says because they were both both children were righteous. Yeah. While the <laughs> I'm having a hard time erasing this. While while the here one was righteous and the other wicked, and I, I changed that to, to suggest that um that w- what Rashi is indicating here is that esav was bad from the start he was born bad now there are other midrashim that say no 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 actually they were they were they were both good until they were 13 and then they started to diverge lots of ways of of describing this but one way or another we're going to end up calling esav the wicked one so let's let's try to figure out why that is and um we could probably just open now and start speculating, but let's let's look at the actual text of the Torah. We have some material, we have some dialogue. It's very scanty, but we'll see. Is that a word scanty? That's a word, right? Yeah. We'll see what um what we what we are gonna do with it. Okay. Um we'll see what we can do with it. All right, so let's take a look here and then we'll open it up. A pretty simple uh 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 uh, method today. Just going to look at the few pieces of actual dialogue that we have with Asab and see if we can figure out what's going wrong here. All right, here's the line that we just saw in Rashi. There are those twins. Okay. yameha uh, When her time uh, to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. Okay, now we should start paying attention because um, they are they are described differently. They are. They seem to be fraternal twins, not identical, because uh, th- that's not for sure. But um, the first one emerged red. Like a hairy, he he was red and hairy. A hairy mantle is a funny way to put, it, but as if he had a hairy cloak all over him. So they named him um, Esav. Esav uh, sounds like like Sayar Asav, Asav might mean he's done. He's like all done. No, he's... Don't oh, want that. Ooh, I hear someone's uh someone's not muted. Um, okay, uh, so they named him Esav. And then his brother emerged holding onto the heel of Asav, so they named him Jacob. Jacob means the heel grabber, the one who grabbed onto the heel. Isaac was 60 years uh, old when they were born, and when the boys grew up, Esav became a skillful hunter, ish said, a man of the outdoors, Ish Sade, a man of the field, literally. But Jacob became a mild man who sat in tents. Um, Isaac favored Asav because he had a taste for game in his mouth. Uh, I think maybe there's a typo there because a taste for game was in his mouth, but Rebecca favored Jacob. Let's just stop there, okay? Because that that line there tells us something. Uh, There's a split, Uh, and this will become important. The father prefers or favors Asaph, the mother prefers or favors Jacob, and all the information that we have about that so far is that one came out hairy, Red and hairy, and the uh, and 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 that one of them was a hunter, and one of them was a quiet, kind of quiet uh, mild mannered tent dweller. okay. Now, okay, so let's just see which one do you favor? <laughs> which one do you prefer? is there anything already that indicates, ooh, I don't like. Hairy people, you know what I mean, or I don't like hunters, or, or maybe, is there something there? What, what do we see so far that might give us some indication that there's something wrong? Any thoughts? No, often our our first first up to bat. No, apology.
1: Well, 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 I can speak from experience as a twin, or. Oh,
0: perfect. Perfect. I forgot that. Yeah, look at that background. We've got twins. Okay. Yeah.
1: Speaking from experience as a, tw- as a twin, it's the tw- we're always trying to find our own identity. Not helped at all, but going to the text by Rebecca and Yitzhak favoring one over the other, which just makes a whole mess of problems. But in my experience, we were each other's best friends growing up and sometimes enemies, more often best friends, constant playmates, constantly with each other, trying to form our own identities, but still being bound at the hip. So the parents, I think, made the issue of who was was the favored, and that always causes problems.
0: Okay, brilliant comment. Brilliant comment spoken <laughs> from, from a man who knows. Um, but it's so helpful um both to hear your experience, but also to reflect, I think you're right, on the the phenomenon of twins, which you know we just saw in the Rashi is 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 um is twinned, it repeats itself. Um it, it occurs twice in the Torah. There are two two sets of twins. And Look, we know sibling rivalry has been a theme starting from the days of Cain and Abel. There's tension between um brothers, but there's something about the twin phenomenon that makes that tension all the um sharper because it it, it they there is like in previous uh sibling rivalries, there's always a question of the of who is the firstborn, who is the inheritor. With twins, that question becomes. Um, it becomes delicate because it it's it it's hard there's a hardly someone who's older and and younger though there is asab is the first born, but does it matter so there's so so that in itself the very kind of biological phenomenon of twins um creates a a a new dynamic of ten of tension where we have already seen um tense dynamics among siblings, and then what Noah says. A uh, uh, sort of even more textured uh, um, reflection on twins, which is that because you are so close when you're a twin, you're constantly trying to, uh, to, to find your distinct identity. And if that is true from the twin experience, then it does some job of explaining, first of all, what the... Rabbis are doing when they are also trying to distinguish between are these just two identical figures? No, they must be there's something different about them. And maybe it also does some job of explaining why um Isaac and Rebecca are like finding distinctions between them, though they seem to be, you know, emerging at the same time. And maybe it even does some a work of explaining why Jacob and Aesop and, and themselves went separate ways. Okay, so all that's all very, very helpful. All right, let's keep uh, let's keep going, Ariela.
2: Well, what I was first struck by when you said hairy was when he um took his brother's blessing. He he put on a fur coat to mimic that hairiness. So, like to me. The hairy theme kind of keeps coming back,
0: right? Right. And right.
2: I also posted in the chat where Rabbi Arthur Green um gave an amazing um article on twins, so that's in the chat.
0: Okay, so let's pick up on our Ar- Ariella's uh focus here on uh his his hairiness. Now wait a minute, you know, like I'm like a Ashkenazi Jewish guy, you know, like I, you know, I was like I, I, I've got some hair of my own, and I don't want to be um, uh, condemned for it. But maybe there is something about that image that from the start, and remember, he's red and hairy too, like pulsing with blood and life, perhaps that there's something I don't know, beastly or savage about Asav. Right? Like, I say this is a hairy guy. Okay. So I'm like, I'm owning it. But like, uh, what what is like, is that maybe part of the clue is that we're, and then Jacob is smooth and delicate. Are we are we beginning to? This is one line of, of of analysis we could take. Are we beginning to see a rabbinic preference for a more refined, delicate kind of not the hunter, but the but the 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 quiet lad, bookish lad, right? Okay, uh, Payam.
3: The key word is hunter. Uh, Genesis is the transition or the winning of agriculture over hunters. And the problem you have is the Cain and Abel story in which Cain is actually the farmer. So the rabbinical tradition is to almost redemption of Cain and turning that story to no, that's the hunter saying where the farmers were bad and then transitioning from the farmers being good and the hunters being bad. So Ishmael is a hunter. All the other foes are going to be hunters.
0: Good, good, excellent. Okay, that's that's also an extremely um, uh, in, incisive comment. And we've heard this analysis come up in our class before, that there is some um, transition happening in the ancient world from hunter-gatherers to to an, agri- an agricultural society, and that the um, the, the Torah wants to privilege. Uh, this is a sort of, it's not exactly a, a critical, like you could be a traditionalist and still believe this, but it is critical historical in the sense that it is like trying to take into account, like what's going on in the world at the time, and how can we understand the Torah stories in light of that? And so maybe Payam suggests, uh, or Pyam didn't say maybe, <laughs> but um, Paim suggests that that's what's going on here: is that Asab is the hunter figure, and you know we don't like hunters in this tradition. We don't like. It's not just you know overly macho masculinity that we're that we're pushing back against, but actually it is a move towards a different model for um for uh for a man for a for a household for a society. And we're moving away from from hunter gatherer okay so that may be a polemic that's going on underneath i i would just say and i kind of like i, w- I want to i've heard this analysis before i think it's it's a very intriguing and helpful one i'm always wondering though when i hear it why okay so there's a transition but why would you want to villainize the hunter what's wrong with that even if society is moving in that way i've never totally understood what what i don't know if, am, if you want to follow up here but well, what's the problem? Like, so okay, so they're we're not hunting anymore, but you want you want to make the hunter an evil character? Is yeah. This like a bit of a strange move.
3: I mean, it's anthropological. It's the Homo sapiens versus the Neanderthals when there's actual war between the two tribes, and one of the tribes is the hunter tribe, and the other one is the farming tribe, and one, I mean, did wipe out the other one. So, mm-hmm.
0: so this is like a sort of echo of a of a Homo sapien Neanderthal battle. That's the way I see it interesting all right all right all right let's leave that there um well, let's take a couple more um couple more thoughts on just that I want to get into the dialogue itself but let's just take a couple more um uh we've already got so much off just a few clues here and we're doing this is exactly the the right kind of work this is the work that the rabbis are doing just picking up on clues and trying to infer from them so let's hear from Jason
3: um yeah I mean just taking a step back you um you said in the beginning that the rabbis wouldn't be making things up. They're not gonna put things into the text that that aren't there, which sure, that makes sense. But um, couldn't it also be, uh, you know, it's possible to read any text in multiple ways, you know, two lawyers can come to the same evidence from two very different directions. It it is, um, what I wanna say, it's like, um, You know, uh, I would think it would be intolerable from a devout standpoint for there to be a mistake here in the lineage, you know, like it should, it should not have been an error that that it goes through Jacob so it's very uncomfortable, you know, to view to it seems necessary to vilify. um, Esau and uh, And I, I just don't know why it couldn't be a kind of confirmation bias in the reading. That enables you to pick up on various details and put together put together a story. I mean, frankly, I think it's a more interesting story <laughs> with the confusion and the complexity, you know, with the, the the question there about like why is it that the scheming brother should should get ahead? You know, why are we okay with that? You know. Um, anyway, that that's all I wanted to say.
0: You're right. You're right. Yep, you're right. I I, I want to just admit that you that that framework is perfect is a perfectly legitimate and strong framework and I I think you're right that I may have uh, I wanted to state that I that I I I I, um I I believe the rabbis to be very keen readers above all and so I I like I I want to caution us away from just saying ah whatever that's not in there at all they came up with it on their own and I do think that they're always at least justifying their interpretations with textual clues. But what you're saying is important, and in, and in, in, in is a sort of a bigger point, which is that they they're not they may not be making it up. That if they are under simply understanding the arc of the story, the arc of the story is that Jacob prevails. Is the character we follow? Is our ancestor? Is valorized? Is like there, this story needs us to find a redemptive um, a narrative for for Jacob, and that requires justifying the covenant. So if Asav um, seems to be um, in in this in this parsha seems to be cheated or victimized, well, okay, that reading is possible, but the rabbis. It's not just that they're making things up. They need to look at the larger arc of the story and understand that this for some reason God seems to prefer. How about putting it that way? The Torah does God does the lineage that we have inherited seems to prefer Isaac and then Ishmael and then you know on and on and on. And so that's a that's the rabbis are doing work that needs to be done. I think that's a perfectly legitimate approach here. um Joni Brenner.
2: Thank you. So um, Isaac is 60, right? Um, it's it. So what I think happened is Rebecca had an affair because living with Isaac was so sad and depressing. And the first man is a redhead. And the second one is Isaac's baby.
0: Oh wow, <laughs> it's a wild interpretation. Love that. Wow, uh, but how? Wait, but how does that? How could they? I don't think genetically that works with the twins. How could could twins be from two different fathers?
2: Well, we have a story, right? Uh, okay. I
0: okay. mean, okay. We, right.
2: we don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm, maybe
0: there is a medical history out there somewhere where someone was in, but I don't think. Yeah. It, I'm I worried.
2: mean, it's just his coloring, how he looks. This was this was the guy. This was the this was the fun guy. I mean, this guy was going to get. Her, she needed a baby.
0: You know, it's funny because uh, there is a there is a midrash, Joni, that says that um, people were very suspicious of Isaac's birth, uh, born to these old people, and they thought and there's just no. They had been together for so long. There's no way they suddenly had kids, and so they started to say, "Oh, it must have been she had an affair." And God made Isaac look exactly like Abraham, so everybody would know. Okay, so but uh, that—that's just a way of saying that your suspicion is not is. It seems wild, but it's not one the rabbis haven't thought of. But I think that the twins things ma- makes it especially um, wild interpretation. But I I, I love it. I love I love the <laughs> I love the uh, the speculation. All right, let's take let's take one more before we move a little forward, Allison.
4: Um. So what I've been thinking about is you used the word wicked when you were talking about how Esau is remembered. And um, it made me think of Passover and like the four children in the Passover story, we have the wicked child and the wicked one is the one who says like, why are you telling me this story about you? As if like, it didn't affect him also. Mm -hmm. And I guess what's what's coming up for me is Esau sells his birthright like so readily.
3: Mm.
4: You know, like he he's not valuing the work that Jacob put into, you know, cooking the food, the lentils. He says, like, oh, give me some of that red stuff, which is sort of crude. So it's it's a bit disrespectful not just to Jacob, but like to all those who like are in the home and make food you know like that labor of love that is food and maybe like that combined with how easily he's like well I'm gonna die anyway so just take my birthright as if it doesn't matter like it flies in the face of the res, the kind of like respect that our main characters have for their parents um and yeah it- Okay. Doesn't have the, the door by door thing.
0: That's that's an excellent reading. Uh, Alison gives us just an excellent reading, and uh, you know uh, she's sort of positioned as the the last commentator on the text we just looked at, but really Alison is the first and very in a very sharp commentator on the text we're about to see. So Allison sets us up nicely for the next piece here. Let's just take a look at at exactly what Allison is talking about because she's really um been able to um to hit all of the important um, notes here, when we look at this next piece of dialogue to remember what Alison said, he sells his birthright so easily. He refers to the food as just like, give me some of that stuff. He says like, what do I need with a birthright? I'm going to die anyway. I mean, some of this language is very, very extreme. Let's take a look here. And especially the last line, when we ask, what are the rabbis picking up on in the Torah itself? Let's take a look at the last line here. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew nazid, um, Asav um, came in from the open famished and Esav said to Jacob, give me some of that red stuff in Hebrew. It's uh, give me some of that red, red stuff. That's what you called it. That red stuff um, to gulp down. I wanted to swallow it for I am famished which is why he was named Edom. Edom is uh, the name of the nation that Esau will um will you know become, but it also means red. So it's like he was called the red. Jacob said first sell me your birthright. Okay. Um that's the quite a, an offer, birthright for a for a bowl of lentils, but Esau said Hine lamut. I'm gonna die. I am at the point of death. Is like not really the ani anochi lamut. I am going to die. So what do I need a birthright for? Now that is a line that I has has, I, 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 has stunned me again and again. I, there's something existential. Almost nihilistic about this that's worth thinking about. But it also can come off as, you know, disparaging and 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 crass and cynical. Um, but Jacob said, said to him, Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And now listen to this last line. Jacob then gave gave Asaf bread and lentil stew. He ate and drank, and he rose and went away. And thus did Asaf spurn the birthright. Look at how many verbs there are. And it works better in the Hebrew here. Um, Jacob gives him the bread and the lentils. All of these verbs, he ate, he drank, he got up, he left, he disgraced the birthright. It's like, there's something so... Um, kind of rapid fire or like he's just snatching and eating and drinking and getting up and leaving and that was the moment he sold his birthright and he doesn't seem to care it's just like one of a series of actions like who cares okay so allison did an, a lovely job of giving 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 those um pieces of evidence as as a case against a seriousness his um, sincerity, his integrity, his his respect for I don't know, basic family values. <laughs> um, all right. So let's see what what do you what do you think about this scene? Let's turn to Deborah.
4: So I've always seen A as ADD. And I think of him, I think of him as Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. You know, Tom Sawyer's following all the rules. And Huck, Phil, Huck Finn's going out to the territories. It has to be active. It has to be out in the field. And so the fact that there's so many verbs is just—it's just sort of underscoring that kind of personality. And we have demonized that, as um, you know, Huck Finn was somewhat demonized in in literature. But Huck Finn comes out actually as a as a hero. He um, he protects Jim no and i i think we owe it to our biblical character to um to not see him as an evil guy to 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 see him as as just a different kind of personality with different kind of personality traits
0: good 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 okay great i'm glad we're like we're not we're not losing the the possibility of a, of a, of a, of, a, of a redemption for for the for the character of asaph and what Deborah says is is such a helpful framework there is yeah, maybe the rabbis we I suggested earlier preferred a certain kind of character or a certain kind of masculinity, but that's not necessarily what the Torah is presenting us. The Torah is presenting us two different character types. Which, by the way, uh, you know, our forefather Isaac preferred one of, and our foremother Rebecca preferred preferred another one of. They're just different characters. And the the famous phrasing that becomes an emblem for this is. Um, a kol Yaakov The voice, Isaac says this when he when he couldn't can't figure out who's standing in front of him. He says the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau's because he's got like those fur uh, that fur coat. To, to but it becomes a kind of a symbol. Like our power in Israel is our voice, meaning our speech, meaning our learning and our our intellectual life. But there's this other kind of power in the world which is physical power and You know, we're so quick to privilege intellectual over hands-on practical knowledge, but the truth is that's very important too. It's half of the equation and actually maybe what we should be seeking, I think Deborah's comments begin to suggest that, look, we were given twins. They're two sides of the same human personality and we need both. And the great tragedy, this is starting to kind of get towards the end, you know we don't have to land on this conclusion but we might say that the great tragedy is of this story is that one of the children has to be privileged when they both have virtues and qualities and you know uh i am i'm i'm only vaguely remembering so i can't cite i want to say in the name of rav cook the first chief rabbi of israel but it is true that in the um the 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 found the foundation of of Israel and the kind of, in the modern state of Israel in this sort of n- new society and an attempt to create a new kind of Jew one of the things that they were um that they were pushing for was a, a reclaiming of the physicality of Jews that we had become too divorced from our bodies and I think it's Rev. Cook who says we need to combine the hands of Asaph with the voice of Jacob. Like both of those are strengths in the world; they're different kinds of personalities. Anyway, and uh, now I'm starting to repeat myself, but uh, Deborah said it best. So you 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 hear the point, and I think that's a, a very very compelling uh, framework for redemption of Asaph and Jacob. Maybe we could actually celebrate them both in some way. Maybe that's something that we're missing in our usual analysis of this story. All right, Um, we're running out of time. Oh, we'll take one last comment from um, Ellie.
2: Okay, well, just for a moment, because I know we're pressed for time now. I think it goes back to Rebecca. I think she was a really domineering mother. She chose to favor one son over the other, and Jacob being this intellectual, peace-loving fellow did what his mother told him to do. And it's still happening when poor Esau has to practically beg to get the blessing from his father. And I'm really simplifying it, but I have this thing about the mother and the son and Mm. Jacob just did what mom told him to do. And it was his mother's opinions on him and his brother. And even though they were twins, but it's a mother thing. That's okay,
0: all, all right. I, that that's Simply. so interesting to hear you say. You started to say that, and I don't I don't monitor the chats, but I can see them pop up. And as you started to say that, I saw Piem type into the chat. Maybe Isaac is the villain in all of this, which is just to say I love Ellie's perspective. Yeah. I think it's legitimate. Yeah. We could blame Rebecca. We could blame Isaac or should we blame esav or should we blame jacob there's a lot, this is this is part of why it's such a masterpiece of a parsha the perspectives here are sort of like um sort of like a rashomon you know like who exactly do we is guiding the action here but I, i'll just say two last things in in closing and there's obviously there's there's more to be done here we could then dive into the rabbinic literature and of course keep in mind in 2 weeks we'll see esav and jacob Khan, the last Uh, recorded dialogue um, uh, that we have of Aesop but two two last things one we I I purposely I cut us off Aesop seems so sympathetic in this scene but then I didn't read you the last line and the last line of course is now Aesop harbored a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had given him that we understood and Aesop said to himself let the period let but the morning period of my father come and I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, <laughs> that's not good. So, okay, like, maybe that's enough. I mean, this has been a bad, you know, terrible family drama, but murder? I will, and the way he puts it, wait till my father dies, and then I'll kill my brother. It doesn't, it feels like, whoa, maybe this guy is a little unhinged. So there's more to be kind of unpacked there, but that's one clue. And then the other one I want to just, like, as i close the class with, you know, running out of time. I just want to like, give us a couple of last things to consider. That's one of them. After all, Esav says he's going to kill Jacob. That seems like a bad idea. Or or that seems like taking things to the next level. Um, The other thing to monitor in this week's Parsha, like we looked at the two snippets of dialogue, but one thing that we didn't look at, which is happening along the way, is who Esav is marrying. And that's, there's something just to note here. There are two little moments of recording. Let's see. Um, now, the, we looked at Genesis chapter 25 and Genesis chapter, where was I? 27. But in the middle is Genesis chapter 26. And at the end of that chapter, it just mentions in passing when Esau was 40 years old, he took to wife, um, Judith, daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basamat, daughter of Elon, the Hittite, both Hittites, Canaanites, and they were a source of bitterness to Isaac and Rebekah. Okay, so they didn't like his wives. Now that's not a good enough reason to write him out of the covenant, but maybe it is because take a look at the last thing that we read in our Parsha. When Esau saw, this is literally the last lines of our Parsha. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him off to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, charging him as he blessed him, you shall not take a wife from among the Canaanite women. Now that's interesting. Esau just did that. And Jacob obeyed his father and mother and gone to Panoram. Aram. realized that the Canaanite women displeased his father Isaac. Here he's been trying to please his father Isaac. So Esav, and now this is an interesting solution. Esav went to Ishmael and took to wife, in addition to the wives he had, Machalat, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abram, the sister of Nevayot. Okay, I, I just threw a lot at you just in the end, but... You can see this is another way, uh, just like as we leave contemplating what's so bad about Aesop, one of the things we might pay attention to is, is this guy clearly displeasing his parents, but is, is there something significant about the fact that he's marrying Canaanite women? He tries to solve it by marrying Ishmael's daughter, but that doesn't, Ishmael's also a... Tense relationships, so that there's something uh, for all of the tension that we saw in last week's parsha of making sure that Isaac finds a a, a non Canaanite woman. So there's something there about Asab maybe like um, playing the field, literally. That also seems problematic. Okay, so that's just a little bit of a, a P.S. Uh, there's a couple of P.S.s there. ASap has a murderous rage, and Asab's marrying outside the family. And both we've offered a lot of of, of theories uh um explanatory theories why why is esav so condemned but here are a couple of other pieces of information to keep in mind okay um i wish you all a good shabbos and i will see you all next week for parasha when we take off and follow jacob for pretty much the rest of genesis okay uh bye everyone okay that's it a taste of our weekly Parsha class Uh, i want to thank everyone who came to the class some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, And speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and and join our our circle of of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org, that's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archived classes and source sheets and everything we discuss there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next
3: week.